Hey there, I'm Jacob Harmon from JMH Media. Welcome to TrustCast. I am intrigued by trust. In fact, I find myself thinking about trust and building trust all the time. Our governments, economies, and even our personal lives are completely built on trust. Think about it. Trust is even at the very soul of our marketing objectives. If a customer trusts us, they're more willing to buy from us. So how do we build trust with customers at scale? Especially when we live in an increasingly digital world where consumers are less trusting than ever. On this podcast, we break through the noise and focus on the ultimate keystone metric that matters. Our primary objective, trust. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of TrustCast. I am so excited to be here today, and I'm so excited that you are listening. I just love doing this podcast. It's so much fun for me. And today is another fun day because I have Lita Green with me, and she has an impressive resume, guys. She's a TEDx speaker. She's an author. She does public speaking. She's also in the beauty space, which is a space that obviously I know nothing about, especially if you're watching the YouTube channel, you can tell. <laughs> but welcome to the show, Lita. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. And you know, you're actually doing better than you think, Jacob. You don't have any weird shiny spots, <laughs> so you're fine. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Well, I'll tell you, beauty is one of those things. I mean, one, I'm a guy, right? Um, but two, like, I have always had horrible style. My wife will tell you that. My parents will tell me that. I just have never, I've been the type of kid that would just get up and throw a shirt on and walk out the door. And so, hey, I look the way I look, I guess. True beauty really <laughs> is being comfortable in your own skin. And if you're comfortable with that, then great. Because if you put tons and tons of work into you, I always joke that if I applied everything I knew about beauty to walk out the door, it would take me two hours, right? It's just, there'd just be so much information. Yeah. So I think it's about whittling it down to not too much and not too little. And if your hygiene's good and you're comfortable in your own skin, I give you a thumbs up. You're good. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I, I am kind of curious though, um, when it comes to business and it comes to being professional and presenting yourself, obviously there's got to be some sort of value to putting yourself together, right? I, I love to talk a little bit about that and how that affects trust. Okay. So thank you. Um, because, you know, you've all heard about the first impression. And that people make their first impression in nanoseconds. And it goes to credibility on how intelligent you may be, how likable you are, how trustworthy you are, um, is people make that decision very quickly. And when people say, oh, well, I don't judge people. Well, there's something wrong with your brain. The first thing that we as human beings need to know about other human beings are we make these judgments. We make decisions about, you know, we need to know if they're male or female. We make decisions if they're aggressive or, or, you know, sultry, right? So all of these lead into our first impression that people have with us. And if we're not aware of how we're perceived and, you know, if there's something that we're doing with our image and I teach classes on this, but you know, for a woman, if I have too much of my girl power showing, literally the part of the male brain lights up of how can I use that instead of communication center? So tools, hammer, <laughs> using, right? So they're gonna automatically, the male brain is gonna perceive me differently if they see too much of my chest area and too much of my legs. So as a professional <laughs> woman, I do not wanna show up in date night clothing. 
I want to show up in professional clothing because the male brain literally has to be like, oh, I got to work to communicate. And not everyone's willing to do that mental linguist, you know, gymnastics, right? So knowing how you're perceived will help that first impression work for you. But like I was saying, doing too much for your appearance can also undermine you. Yeah, interesting. And so when it comes to to dressing, I guess, for the occasion, you always hear like, if you're going to a job interview, um, put on a shirt and tie, or if you're, if you're a woman, dress professionally, right? Um, but I feel like culturally, we're kind of moving towards more casual. I mean, you think of the Silicon Valley and tech companies and startups, a lot of times one of the big perks is there's no dress code, or, or at least there's not a very strict dress code. Um, how do you feel about that? And do you think we should dress more professionally or is casual okay? Purist image consultants would be very, you know, this is distressing, but I think it, because I'm also a confidence expert and I've studied this stuff for, you know, 30 some years now, I really think if you are comfortable in projecting that confidence and that who you are, you know, I like the phrase more of dress for the job you want. So if you're applying to go work at the Apple store, um, my look would be completely off, even though it's professional, because mm-hmm. I don't have any tattoos and, you know, the only hair I have is gray, <laughs> you know, two color tone. I should probably have like some cooler earrings, right? But if I showed up, <laughs> um, you know, to, you know, go work at Adobe corporate, they probably wouldn't be impressed by that look. So just dress for the job you want. And if you're going to apply to be in the warehouse, then, you know, your flannel would be great. But if you're looking to be in management, then yeah, throw on the shoot, shoot, the shoot, throw on the shirt and tie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. So really, it's all about where you want to go and being able to foresee that in your future and then dressing for that occasion. Okay. That makes right. a lot of sense. And selling makeup. I had a girl one time in one of my booths and she came in a pink bra was showing in a tank and I'm like, that'd be great if we were selling to men, but we're not selling to men. So you got to kind of see who your market is. And she was like, Oh, you're just all enforcing your standards on me. And I'm like, okay, watch, just watch. And it was interesting to see how there'd be the four of us and people would just go buzz to other people, but avoid her. And so knowing not only how to dress, but how people are going to perceive that color becomes really important. Did you know that blue is the most trustworthy color? So another great color for doing an interview, um, bold, sexy, blue, red lips, not good for an interview. That is, you know, romance and intimacy. So not good for the workplace when, but you know, you can get feedback from other people. Like, how is this, how does this look? You know, is this too edgy? Is this too lax? You know, you can do a a lot of it's common sense if you really just think about what your image is saying. Yeah. Interesting. And like I said, I'm my natural inclination is not to think about my image all that much. And so this is an interesting thought exercise for me. Sounds like I probably should change my podcast cover to be blue. No, I don't think so because you also are thinking what's the 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 catch, what's the the overall messaging. And you can google the emotional impact of other colors. Like how do how does yellow make people feel? And they're all over Google now. Like back in the day, you know, we had books that we image consultants would have and I'm like now it's all on Google, right? But, you know, knowing how those feel and what impact and for your brand you want. 
You know, Coca-Cola has a very specific color of red that's not sensual, mm. it's savory. And it's consistent throughout the world. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit, since you are an author, I think writing a book is a huge authority booster. I mean, when I look up someone, I mean, I looked up you just before this interview, I did a Google search on, on Lita Green and I was like, Hey, who is this? And for one of the first things I saw is, Oh, she's written two books. And to me that was, Oh wow. That's impressive. Like, and, and it boosted my trust in you. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Why is it that writing a book um, boosts trust and authority and how can we leverage that in business? Well, first of all, if people are like, I don't even want to write a book. I don't want to do that. It'd be too hard. Well, I'm the girl that every time I was writing a paper for school, my family would be like, okay, okay, we, we got to help Lita. I mean, I was always told what a terrible writer I was. And come to find out that is what editors are for is to make your grammar good. And I am a good communicator. And so I write like I talk. And it may not get me an A in a college class because my grammar isn't great, but that's what editors do. And so it's really about the concepts that you have. I heard a lot of people say it doesn't matter if your book is good, just that you have a book. Because, yes, Jacob, you were impressed that I had it. However, my book has led to, it's one of the main ways that I get booked as a speaker. The fact that my books have sold over 40,000 copies in the six years that I've, since I've become an author, that's a huge thing. It, because it's a good book. And so you don't want to just have the plot factor of a book. You want to have a book that you can be proud of and having the right team and editors and publisher and distribution and all of that to help you really do what you want. It depends what, what your goal is. Is it just to get into Barnes and Noble or is it to sell after you speak? Is it just to give mm -hmm. away for free on Amazon to build up credibility that you're the best real estate agent in town? You got to look at what's the end goal in with that. You can yeah. tell I can talk a lot I'm, about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And obviously the purpose of this podcast isn't how to become an author, but if you wanted to maybe distill down the most important things, let's say one of the listeners wants to s start exploring writing their own book. What's the first thing you would tell them to do um, to get started? I would have them get one of those expandable file folders and put the topics that they think their book is going to be, or if they can do it on a Google doc and anytime they say something on social media that's really good or they're talking to someone, they're like, wait, that was a really good thought. And start seeing how many thoughts and ideas you have around a particular topic and organize them. And instead of being like, I'm going to write a book, be like, what do I think about this? And then gather all your thoughts on that. What do I think about this? And gather all your thoughts on that. And then you can go and flesh them out and see if. And so my first book was going to be uh, a beauty how-to book, and it, it went off course all into confidence and in how you feel about yourself, and so we call it inside-outside makeover, right? And it's really more about how you perceive yourself, but initially I thought I'd have to do a credibility book of me in the beauty space because I was a beauty trainer, but uh -huh. when I really looked down at what got me excited and what I wanted to talk about, I didn't want to talk about your how to put your perfect eyeliner on. I want to show people how to do that, not how to do it in a book. So look, see, yeah. first of all, gathering your content in little teeny bits really helps me to do that. I've got 
now I've got three different expandable files of things I could write on. So I could grab those for a blog post or really anything, right? And is this something that should go in this book or is this something I put away for later? And reusing your content. I love uh, Christy Honvick, um, Michelle um, McCullough. They're amazing for teaching people how to repurpose their social media content. But all of that social media content could also be the guide towards your book. And Okay. Yeah. So, and then the publishing world is weird. There's the author that makes money. There's the, the publisher, you know, actually makes the book, the book distributor and the bookstore. And so depending on what your end goal is, Amazon can be all of those for you. But if your, your end goal is to get into bookstores, you, you know, you have to format the book differently. And if anybody's interested, I can refer people like crazy. That would be awesome to help them with that. Okay. And we're definitely going to throw your contact info in the show notes. So if you're interested in writing a book, I'm not the guy to go to. Go talk to Lita. And I will um, send you to the people that do that. I will send you. I love giving <laughs> referrals. Again, another great way to build trust. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe someday I'll write a book. I've already started gathering all kinds of content because as a marketer, that's what I do, right? I, I'm, I make content. That's why I'm doing the podcast. I, I have social media posts. And so that makes a lot of sense. It's really just a matter of gathering all of your thoughts that you've ever really had on a topic and then organizing them and saying, oh, well, all these can go in this chapter and all these can go in this section. And this is how this connects to that. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, I wrote my book this weekend. And I'm just kind of like, no, that's a journal. You know, huh. um, gathering all your deep thoughts on different things that really end up being in the same vein will help you go deeper than just sitting down and what do I think about this? And mm -hmm. you can kind of tell when it's just this, you know, it, you know, journaling of hear what I think about this versus I have really analyzed this down deep and thought through all the different things on this. Mm -hmm. well, sounds to me like there needs to be a book on trust in business. And who knows, maybe I'll be the one to write that someday. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. And so we've, we've talked about your book. We've talked about how you present yourself and, and the beauty space. Let's dive in a little bit to public speaking. I think that public speaking is a huge way that you can gain trust because, I mean, if you can get in front of a hundred people, a thousand people, 10,000 people, they are sitting there and they're there to listen to you. And so you have however long your presentation is to be able to really win them over and show them that you know what you're talking about. How did you get into public speaking, Lita? Well, um, God told me to. I was a housewife that had a makeup business for about 12, 13 years at that point, And my husband had been hit by a bus and then had a massive heart attack and briefly died in my arms. Good news is he came back to life. And then I was in a wheelchair and then our daughter died. And I was kind of like, okay, God, what's the big plan? And he said, he, I literally just saw a glimpse of me speaking, which had never occurred to me ever before. And I was like, what does that have to do with my daughter, Caitlin? What does that have to do with anything? And I, it was, it was a really weird process for me, but my first speaking engagement, they came to me and offered me money. And I was like, really, they'll pay me to talk about this. So I haven't even written the book about those events because I was writing the foundations of what I know and what I, you know, what my expertise of what I'd survived, not really a sensational thing of this is what's happened to me. Right. 
So in all of that, I got, I got a little bit of a, a cheated path because people just came to me and started offering me money. And then there was somebody there that heard me speak and, and so on. The truth of the matter is a lot of people want to speak, but until you're good, no one will give you money for it. And so you have to get out there. It's like a chicken before the egg because you, know, you go and you speak at your chambers, mm -hmm. your networking things, which I still will go and do because I'll sell a ton of books and they're without having to get on a plane. But are you a speak to sell speaker, meaning you want to sell your coaching, your credibility, you're hoping for a big sell from the people or you're selling, you know, you're working with a meeting planner and a corporation and you're selling your content and you're a polished speaker. So it, they're, they're two separate things. Right. Where a lot of times, you know, I'll be I'm paid to speak and they don't even want me to talk about that. I have a book or that I coach or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then if it's where I'm not being paid, then I get to be a little bit more promotional and do that in a non tacky way is my preferred advice to people, because it's a lot of times you'll hear people speaking and they'll seed plant, seed plant, seed plant. And it's like their whole entire presentation was a commercial. If you're not giving content, mm -hmm. then really you just wasted your audience time my slightly yeah. harsh opinion. <laughs> so uh, getting into speaking is getting out there and finding audiences that will let you talk to them before you can get paid to speak. And that's why I say I got a cheated path because my first real speaking engagement, they came to me and offered me money. And I was like, what? So I didn't realize how fortunate I'd been. But I um, mean, you know, I've worked really hard at it and continue to work hard at it. And um I'm not even a crazy busy speaker. I don't want to be gone on a plane all the time because I like my kids. Mm -hmm. But um, I can refer some great speakers that actually coach people how to become speakers. But um, it's it's really what is your end goal to sell your product or to sell your content? Okay, yeah, and I think about the TEDx stage as like the pinnacle of speaking. Right. And that's it's a big deal. Much bigger it's, I mean, they're, but like that brand, that TEDx brand is like, okay, this is a good speaker who gave a good talk. That's worthy of being labeled TEDx. Right. And so what is your advice? I mean, you've been on the TEDx stage, you've done a TEDx talk. How do you get there? Is it all about networking or how, how do you, how do you get on that stage? Well, my first TEDx talk, I literally begged the lady to put me on the stage. And she's like, we're only doing the best. And I was like, and it was in my first two years as a speaker. And I begged to get on there. I mean, I was like basically on my knees. And uh, she runs the TEDx and has actually invited me back again. So I've done three because I did a great job. She is a crazy awesome marketer and has referred me to a lot of different people. Again, trust. So that was kind of a networking thing. But when people go to do a TEDx talk, it is a, the whole entire idea of TED is great ideas. So it's that content. Mm -hmm. If you fill out your application of I'm a coach, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, they're going to be like, no way, not interested. It needs to mm -hmm. be, this is my great idea. This is why the audience needs to hear this great idea. This is what will help people when they have this. All about the idea. You are not important. It's about Ted. Right? Yeah. So people make that mistake because they, you know, they feel like they did this great thing, but they're not looking at what the platform is asking for. It's asking for great ideas that make them look amazing because they're showcasing your great idea. 
So typically you can't really pitch anything that you are. However, my first TEDx talk, I can easily trace back $100,000 of speaking fees to it. Which makes sense because you're on that platform. People see you, they see you speak, and then they immediately are thinking, oh, I need to have her come speak at my event or my thing. Yeah. And I use it as my speaker reel. I'm really low key on, I don't have a fancy speaker reel. I just send like, this is my presentation style. And they're like, it was a TEDx, which TED is you have to be invited, you know, very, you have millions of followers. They're held a couple times a year. TEDx are held throughout the country and you can just go look up where are they and you can apply. Very cool. Okay. And I, I like this concept of it's all about the application and how you frame it because it's the same way in business. I think too often people are going into any sort of sales conversation or any conversation with, oh, this is what I can give you. I can sell you this service. I can sell you this service. But instead, just like you did with the TEDx talk, you have to sell, why does it matter to them? What value are you giving to them? Right. Right. I think we make that mistake a lot. Uh I, I mean, I, I was a, a trucker's daughter that figured out sales was easier than manual labor. And that's how I became a makeup artist, really, because everyone in my family, I have a brother's a machinist, a carpenter, a plumber, you know, I mean, everybody has to have a trade. And this is the one that didn't involve me having to wear overalls. So that that was where I wanted to go. But I sell way more when I serve first. You know, I give the free makeover. You come and I talk to you and I explain everything you need to know about your skin, everything you, how high end a makeup for do you want? What's your purpose with it? And I don't even, and at the end, the only thing I have to say is, what of these would you like to take with you? Because I've given so much service and thrown out all of my knowledge, which I think we as professionals get nervous giving our knowledge away, like our knowledge is the thing. But the knowledge is really what allows them to purchase from us because they now trust us because we're the expert. A hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, As a web designer, like there are literally thousands of web designers out there. And honestly, you say, hey, build a website. They can build it. I can build it. But I think the big the big difference for me really is you're going to work with me and I'm going to take care of you. You know, like I'm going to bend over backwards to make sure that that your website's doing well, that it's, that it's performing well, we're going to basically be a partner. And so, Absolutely. And so I, I think really it's, it's not about selling the product and this products is the means I, I, of the I end. I talked about that over and over. Yeah. Anyway, the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, I just agree that the, I just, I just agree with you that the product <laughs> is <laughs> just a means to the end of us make, getting compensated for the time that we put out there. But if we approach business, and that's been, I had a speaking client that had contracted very specifically for me to do something, and the MC decided they wanted to keep winging it. And so it wasn't my job to, I literally ended up dressing the MC because she was not dressed professionally, doing a makeover on her, getting the hairstylist in to do her hair so she looked like the role that she was supposed to play, and then augmented to her instead of her supposed to be augmenting to me and bent over backwards. And it led to a five engagement speech because they were like, all the things I was willing to do behind the service to make sure it went well, because if this event did not go well, the beauty planner could get fired. 
And so it's not about me and that I'm going to give applause. It's like, what can I do to get in the trenches with you to help you to have a successful result? That is why I got that five, you know, extra engagements from them and eventually got offered a job. I'm like, I don't want a job. I had to get a job. Kathy Rios offered me a job, you know, uh, you know, but that, you know, it's huge trust factor because I did what I wasn't contracted to do. Yeah. Going the extra mile. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people miss. Um, I mean, business, it's all about our, it's our, it's all about making money. It's all about being efficient and productive and, and streamlining processes. But in all of that, which isn't bad, I'm not saying any of that's bad. But in all of that, I think oftentimes we lose the humanity and we lose the ability to just help people and to provide value. And that's not to say we're doing it for free. No, no, um, we, we, uh, I've we get paid. I've talked to multiple people on – sorry, go ahead. I'm like, no, we get paid. Yeah, we should get paid. You, that's part of being uh, in business. Yeah. And in fact, like I've talked to multiple people on this show before about how providing value doesn't mean – not getting paid and how it actually will bring more value back to you if you do it right. But really it's just about being human and connecting with people on a human level. I absolutely agree. It's funny because when I started um, and I do some coaching, but I'm not trying to grow my coaching or anything like that, but people will call me and they want to pick my brain and I'm like, well, great. Are you wanting to pick my brain while I cook dinner or I drive or do you actually want some very valuable content from me? Because, you know, you could spend all day having your brain picked. And as a mom, I always say that my time has eternal value because I only had between when they left in the morning and they came back for undistracted times, right? And so I need to know how much money I want to make in a month, how many makeovers, how many, you know, podcasts am I going to do, right? All these, all these things that take time, how much of that is revenue producing activity? And if I'm letting my brain be picked all that time, then I'm not creating revenue for my family. So I just started telling people, well, if you want really focused time, then you can pay for that. And I set a wage per hour of what that was. And over the years I've raised it and people keep saying yes. And they'll be like, well, I was just hoping for free time. And I'm like, great. Well, you can go access my free videos. Yeah. yeah. And having that boundary actually builds trust because I value myself enough to, you know, I have a sales process that I teach and people are like, I want to know how you just did that. And that it takes me an hour and a half to help them with it. And that's it. And it's done. And they never need to hire me again. And they end up telling other people because I was like, this is very simple. This is how it is, but you're going to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the really cool thing that I thought of when you were talking about that is that gives another reason why it's valuable to create free content. Um, like a podcast or a YouTube channel or blog posts or whatever that free content is, a great use of that free content is to be able to point people that way that aren't willing to pay. And because if they're not your target audience, if they're not the person that's, that's actually going to move the needle in your business, you, you don't, at least I don't, I'm, I'm the, I'm the nice guy. I'm the guy who always wants to help people out. And so I want to give them something and that's a perfect opportunity to say, Hey, for free, that's why I do that podcast. That's why I do that YouTube channel. Go look at all that stuff. There's so much value there. I give it away. Um, but if you want to sit down with me, I mean, that's, that's going to cost you. We're going to schedule my time that costs money. 
If you're going to schedule it, it costs money. Um, another fun thing that I haven't done much recently but is a great idea to create free content is when people message you and ask questions, instead of answering them individually, make a live video on your professional page answering their question and then let them know, I just made that video for you. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Well, I did that mm -hmm. and, and I just was like, oh, th this audience will love that. And it's just a great way to create more content and engagement on your page. Yeah, like I said, I'm still in that one because oftentimes I'll get people reaching out to me with very, very basic questions about some of the things that I do. And I answer so many questions privately, but that just makes sense. It's another piece of content, right? Okay. Right. I'm going to take that one. You know, like moms, we get pecked to death. You know, the, the seagulls from Finding Nemo, they're like, mom, 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 mom. And so I, I heard one of my mentors said, if you do it more than once, you know, create a system for it. So, you know, mm -hmm. my grocery list, I have a system for it. For my business, I have to have a system for everything because it makes my time work better for that limited time that I have in the office. You know, when my kids are not burning the house down or, you know, random things that happen, right, that I have a system. So when I get into my office, I can be really efficient and I have that time scheduled and planned. And that way I don't break trust with people by not doing what I say I'm going to do because we can get so mm -hmm. pecked and what's happening right now and who needs me right now. And so I, social media is another way I think that we can build trust or erode trust. And so who are you consistently on there? I think 2020 has showed us a lot of, I've been disappointed with some of my professional friends that I love as people. You can either sell something and be a brand, or you can talk about politics. You can't mm -hmm. really do both. If you're going to do it, in a, there's classy ways to do it, but getting very deep into the left or into the right, and then expecting your social media to sell you, you've just chosen to tell all of those people or all of these people, I don't want to do business with you, which that's your choice to make, but be aware that anytime you post something about religion, sex, or politics, somebody's not going to like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it has been an interesting year for that. And I, I, I don't want to talk too much about it, especially because of what you just said, but I do want to say like both sides, <laughs> like I think that we've come to a point in this nation specifically, but I also think in the world where we're just so divisive and I don't understand why it is that now if, if someone doesn't agree with me, all of a sudden they're my enemy and I have to hate them. But unfortunately, like that's kind of what social media has done to us. And for all the wonderful things that social media has done, it's also caused some major problems. So unfortunately that's, that's the world we live in. Right. And I think it's, you know, appropriate to not be tone deaf you know, so I have my approach where I talk about, you know, we're all human beings. That's the only label that matters to me. And if you believe it's just that we're human beings and we're made out of the same stuff, or if you're children of God, that's the label that matters. Everything else is a distraction for me loving on you. And that's how I've chosen to kind of respond to it. You know, my brand, my, my platform, that's how I'm responding to things and not getting pulled into the weeds in the politics and and getting pulled into the weeds in our relationships and our businesses by knowing what we stand for and having a plan about how we approach that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it is interesting because sometimes as a brand, you do have to make a stance on, on a moral issue or, or something like that. But 
But oftentimes, that's the the tricky thing is knowing when it's appropriate to engage on a specific topic and when it's not, especially if it has nothing to do with your brand, it has nothing to do with your business. Sometimes it's better just to let it go. (laughs) So I have a a little thing about sales that I'd love to share with your audience. I think it goes along with what we're saying. Let's do it. There are three ways to sell something. There's hype. So in the beauty industry, oh my crap, uh, so-and-so celebrities wearing this and, and look how great I look, right? Hype, getting you all excited. And, <laughs> and if you have this, you'll be cool too, right? And you watch commercials mm-hmm. and you know, the beauty industries, you know, to me, it seems like one of the worst for this, you know? And then there's the, the FOMO, the fear. If you don't buy mm-hmm. this, you're going to be a wrinkled tree. Oh, no one's going to love you and your boyfriend's going to leave you. And, uh, right. The fear that you're missing out. <laughs> and the truth is all of us, let's just be honest. Every single one of us, when we woke up this morning was not like, ah. you know, we all have that little pit in our stomach that we feel like we're not enough. And as a confidence expert, my opinion on that is because that's what makes us human. That's our empathy, our vulnerability, our willing to be kind to another person. When we suppress that, um, to cover it up with ego, we become bravado instead of connectors, right? And then the third way to sell things is service and education. It takes more time. It's harder. You actually have to work with the prospect instead of just at- activate their animal brain with fear or hype, pleasure or pain, right? You actually have to intellectually work with someone. But that's where the referral is. That's where the trust is. When we FOMO people, so if we're going to get into, if we, you know, I just ask myself when I'm being emotional and I'm feeling that, wait, am I in hype or am I in fear? Am I in pain? Okay, wait, what? Because we're the only animal that has the ability to not act out of instinct. And so just to have that pause before you post, that pause before you speak. I, I don't know how I feel about that yet. Thank you for bringing this up to me. I will get back with you. You know, just we don't have to have an immediate answer to everything. We can take a day or two to really think about what's my reaction to such and such event and not be just acting in our animal brain and running our business in that, you know, abundant scarcity, fear, whatever, but something deeper than that. Yeah. And I think one of the best answers you can ever give is, I don't know. And honestly, when you're able to be vulnerable enough to admit that you may not know the answer to something, like, I don't know, personally, whenever somebody else does that, I actually trust them more and I appreciate them more. And I say, oh, wow, like, way to go. Because I feel like too many people can't say, I don't know, you know? And acting like we know everything is going into ego and pride. And nobody wants to work with the person who's a know-it-all. They want to work with the person Mm -hmm. like you were saying. I call it loving on people, right? And that may feel weird for Jacob to say, you know, that's my job to love on people, right? But nobody can take (laughs) care of them and love them in your business the way that you do. No one else can duplicate the human connection and care doesn't mean they don't care. It just means the way you uniquely, uniquely do it that really in our business is we're finding those that resonate with our style of service and care. Mm-hmm. And if we are always operating from I'm the best and there's no one who, you know, I always think it's funny when speakers are like, I'm the only speaker that speaks on this. I'm like, no, you're not. 
right? As Socrates <laughs> said, there's nothing new under the sun. Every single speaker, really, if you think about it, speaks on the same thing, mindset and how you think, right? Yeah. We're just approaching it from a different angle. And the point is, how many times do we have to hear the same kind of concept? So if we can be the kind of people who deliver concepts with care and concern, then we're going to have a better trust relationship than just spouting off something that makes us look smart. Yep. Just today, I, I posted on LinkedIn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, which is a very famous uh, structure, basically saying these, this is what us as human beings we need, and we need these things before we need these things before we need these things. But one of the things on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of the tiers is love and belonging. And I believe that that is one of the most powerful tools we have as a marketer. Create a tribe around something. Around if we something. were in Baptist country, I'd be saying, amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Create a group of people who belong with each other, who, who, who have the same goals, who have the same mindset, who have the same desires. Like, and then what you do is those people will be your fans forever. Why? Because you created community for them. And even more than creating fans, because there's, you know, fans can also become stalkers. There's a very thin line between, oh, yeah. you know, the celebrity fan that was disappointed because celebrity didn't meet an expectation. And I'm not, I'm not a celebrity, but I've actually had people that think that we're best friends because they felt something in my speech and then are mad that I won't go and get a pedicure with them. You know? And I'm like, interesting. Yeah. And, and they literally become hating you. So I think fan, I like to use the word. I like what you said about community, but you know, being that vulnerable, real person, that's not perfect. And I love that in 2020, they said in marketing, you could probably speak to this better, but they talked about how, um, social media was turning against those perfect influencers, you know, with mm -hmm. the nanny in the background and being like, it's so hard with COVID. And people are like, whatever, nanny in the background doing your laundry. And people were getting really turned off by what the perceived perfection. And I was like, perfect. Cause I often post pictures of me without my makeup on. And I've had people get mad at me for that. And I'm like, look, I'm real. I can maintain real. And so it's really not putting you above anyone else community I think is going to get you further along in your goals and be more satisfying and joy for you, then you're the guru God above all these people. You're just the yes. lightning yes, rod yes. that brought them all together. But once you start putting yourself above other people, then you've got the fan thing and you could have the stalker thing instead of just, you know, we're all human. And here, I've studied this a lot, and you've studied this a lot, and we can bring all this together and have a great discussion. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you, Lita. I love this. I love having these types of conversations with people that just get it. And you're definitely one of those people, so thank you. Well, I'm honored. Thank you for having me on <laughs> and stalking me <laughs> in a good way enough to decide that it would be good to have me on the show. Of so course. thank you. And I mean, before we wrap things up, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you think is important within the branding marketing space? I think it just, we've said it, but I feel like being genuine and who you really are, that if it's really connects with you, all your flaws and bumps, that's something that I, my brand of hotness evolved over time. 
and I haven't had to redo it. I've, you know, come up with prettier images for it, but my brand is really me. And so really getting deep into not just what you want it to look like, but what is it really will give you longevity and more trust because when they see you being you, it's not disappointing, but it's, there's always those people who try to push us to be the more because that's a whole other discussion, but just have enough humility to have it be really you. Okay. Well, thank you. And I'm going to, like I said before, I'll throw all your links and everything in the show notes. Um, LitaGreen.com is your website. They can learn more there. And then also the um, HotnessCosmetics.com, huh? Yeah, that's my makeup website. But Lita Green, <laughs> Lita Green, aka Hotness, Collaboration Ripples for Change is my um, nonprofit. But I'm easy to find because I've got a weird name and I do enough podcasts that it helps my brand. <laughs> 100%. Okay, well, I'll throw all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show, Lita. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I hope I added great um, content and value to your audience. And thanks again, Jacob. Of course. And thank you for listening to us talk. Go and write a book, learn how to be a speaker, build authority, build trust. And thanks for listening to TrustCast. Thank you for listening to TrustCast. This podcast has been a production of JMH Media. I'm Jacob Harmon, and I've been your host. The TrustCast podcast team consists of Josh Harmon and Steve Hill. I really couldn't do this without them. Music licensing comes thanks to Epidemic Sound. And if you've liked what you've heard, we invite you to subscribe to TrustCast in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help. Join us next time as we continue to break through the noise by building real human connections and trust in business. See you then.